when it's, you know, safe to do so. And in all my travels to Haiti, I've stayed several times at a Catholic guest house in Port-au-Prince. And before taking showers at night, uh, kind of in rotation, if you will, and retiring to our somewhat dilapidated accommodations for the evening, over dinner, people come together telling stories of the road that they have taken in life, their connections that they've made in Haiti, and the ways in which they care for and empower the people. Every meal begins with a bit of an awkward singing of a simple prayer in Haitian Creole. If you know much about me, I really don't love to sing in public, so it's super awkward, and it's, but it's painted like for your reference on the wall, and so they expect you all to sing it. Again, you don't need to know that, but it's just like, this is what I'm, like, the scene that I'm in, okay? The smell of rice and beans fills the air at dinner time, along with the peanut butter sandwiches being prepared for the next day's outings. And of course, the sink full of bleach water ready so that every person can attend to their own dishes and chip in in the cleanup after the meal. One particular evening at this guest house is really etched in my mind. It was the first night I had returned back into Port-au-Prince from the remote areas that I travel to with our partner communities in the remote part of Haiti. At dinner, there were, there were several travelers, including a journalist, a priest, Haitian translators, and one traveler who was a part of this group with the priest who insisted that she clean up everyone else's dishes. Her name was, and I kid you not, Martha. As I washed my own dishes, I made an effort to connect with her at the sink. She jokingly referred to herself as being like Martha from that Bible story. This stranger I will likely never meet again is someone I think of time to time, especially as I read the text we're going to read today. She seemed to carry a particular burden consumed by the work in front of the group, insisting on doing the dishes to free up everyone else to connect and talk after dinner. I am not saying that's a bad thing. Of all people, I know things need to get done, and I do find pleasure in serving others. In her preoccupation with what was before her, though, I do wonder what she missed in that, that conversation that night. I wonder how she had been shaped throughout her life by the expectations and the exclusion from those around her. I wonder what she might have learned about herself, about those gathered together over dinner, about God, about the good road, had she not been consumed by the task at hand. I, too, am often consumed by the work that needs done around me. We know this in my home. So I felt for this woman. So many things can vie for my attention. I find it really hard to relax or engage in the fullness of life going on right around me and right in front of me until I have cleared the clutter from my surroundings or at least the tasks from my to-do list. We all come against things that vie for our attention. Not all of them are negative, of course. Though some can pull us away from the best part of what is before us. We experience the temptation to respond to those texts and emails that just seem like everything is urgent. 
The temptation to get everything in order for guests or for the next workday or to prepare for children to leave or return home. We put off time to focus on where the Spirit is leading us. We miss out opportunities to connect with those right in front of us. Ignoring also opportunities to stand in solidarity with those who are suffering because of our own very full schedules, not prioritizing our own care and formation, kind of wearing that badge of busy, of productivity, as if we've earned something special. Do we miss the best part? We talk about living out our faith in practice here at Trinity. We even say on our website, we practice listening to hear the Spirit and the voices of one another, learning what it means to be grounded in and following Jesus Christ together. That is hard to do when we're distracted. Or when we have allowed the broader culture to disciple us, to form us, telling us what is deemed as appropriate times or postures, if you will, to pause or to listen or to learn. The good news is that Jesus shows us another way and affirms setting our hearts on the one thing that matters. Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and it comes right after Jesus has taught in several villages. He has fed the multitudes at this point. He has healed and restored belonging, and he has equipped and sent out the disciples to share the good news. Throughout the journey, Jesus has been met with both rejection and welcome. And he has just shared the story of the Good Samaritan, which we're not going to cover today, but is about welcome. It's about seeing the person in front of you as kin. Jesus and his followers continue on in their travels, and they have arrived at Martha's house. And this is where our text picks up for today. I'm going to be reading from the First Nations version again, as we've been doing throughout this series, which also means I'm going to read a little bit of the notes that are here in this version. I want to encourage you just to, re, uh, to listen along, since you don't probably have this version in front of you. Mm-hmm. As they journeyed on, they went to the village where a woman named Head Woman, Martha, gave them lodging at her house. Her sister, Healing Tears, who is Mary, lived with her. She sat next to Creator Sets Free, who is Jesus, on the floor, listening to his teaching. The note says, as their wisdom keeper, Creator Sets Free, Jesus would teach the men who gathered around him, but this would not have been proper for a woman in that culture. Head woman, who is Martha, was distracted, trying to get the meal ready for the honored guests. When she saw healing tears sitting down, she walked up to Creator Sets Free and said, Wisdom Keeper, do you not care that my sister has left me to work alone? Tell her to help me. Head woman, oh, head woman, he said, I know many things worry and trouble you, but you must set your heart on the one thing that matters. That is what healing tears has done, and I will not take it from her.
I want to just make a few observations about this text as we consider what we might learn from Jesus on the good road. As we've seen from time and time again, Jesus extends welcome to all who might follow him. As the note in this version says, Jesus would teach the men gathered around him, but this would not have been appropriate for the women in the day. Jewish women were normally expected to fulfill domestic duties to support the instruction of men rather than be cast in the role of student for themselves. But I want us to keep in mind our text from last week. Remember there was that entourage of women who were following Jesus, not only giving out of their own resources and mutuality and generosity, but they were the ones held up by Jesus as the example of those who listened and responded, who had allowed the good news to fall onto good soil and take root. They are the students, the disciples. This scene here in today's text wasn't the first time women were gathered around Jesus. And clearly it wouldn't be the last time that he gave attention to them and that his teaching or otherwise would be questioned. We can read Jesus' exchange here with Mary not simply as extending welcome to her just being present, but affirming her role as a disciple, as a learner. It's worth noting that really for dramatic effect, Jesus's traveling companions, remember there's a group of them, they have fallen out of view in this particular scene. But they're there, and so I wonder what they would have thought, what they would have observed here in this scene. I can only imagine that this empowering interaction with Mary and Jesus's words to Martha were an encouragement not only to the women who were present, but any who were usually regarded as unworthy of sitting under the teaching of a great teacher. I can also imagine that it might have been challenging for those who, maybe in the back of their minds, still question not only if presence of women or other traditionally disregarded persons would have, but if, what their impact would be as they learned, as they were discipled. But we can't ignore the juxtaposition of these two texts, this one before it about the Good Samaritan and today's. In both of them, Jesus emphasized the hearing of the word and responding. We all know that when we go about our daily lives, not all news is good news, right? Not all ways of the world follow the good road. The mark of discipleship is hearing and responding. That requires some discernment somewhere in the middle. And here, Martha is not hearing and responding. She becomes a bit self-implicating in her self-preoccupation as she uses me talk three times just in this short exchange. She's concerned to engage Jesus in her plans and not concerned about his plans. Her doing seems to be rooted in anxiety as the host. 
rather than in dispositions transformed by an encounter with Christ. She's concerned with so many things. And Mary is concerned with one. The best part. The one thing that mattered, and it's right before her. This text, we should not be fooled, is not about the contemplative life over and against the active life. It's about posturing oneself to hear and be discipled by Jesus. Jesus is seeking this kind of openness or welcome, not only for himself, but for his followers and for the good road and the kingdom. And Mary chooses to extend this kind of openness and welcome to Jesus. She puts herself in the position to hear the living word, to hear Christ as she submits to Jesus' teaching. In the text, we can notice her posture. She's sitting on the floor, the lowliest of places. She's not distracted, though, nor conforming to what is expected of her in the broader culture. It's as if she is embracing her belonging while assuming and maybe preferring the role of disciple. As she sits in this role of disciple, I can only imagine that her hearing Jesus' teaching leads to growth, that it might lead to her changing her mind, which is what the word repentance means, and that she might be freed from some broken ways, And we see Jesus lift up Mary in this story as an example of one who hears the word of God and responds. And I might be reading between the lines, but I I hear Jesus commend her for building a culture that is not bound by the effects of colonizing forces, but rather becoming free from distractions and broken ways as she follows Jesus on the good road. The good news for us is that Jesus is making the path clear for all people. And Jesus affirms setting our hearts on the one thing that matters. I think the challenge for us today is to consider what in our day today distracts us from welcoming Jesus and welcoming those who follow the good road who might want to be a part of the kingdom and experience that for themselves. I want to leave us with a poem this morning. It's uh, actually from a great little um, book by Julia Esquivel. She's got several books. She's a Guatemalan um, asylum seeker. Um, And it's both in Spanish and English. I'm just going to read the English for you today. Um, It's called Longing. And I want to read it and ask that you make it your prayer today to challenge and be challenged to welcome Jesus, what God has for you or wants for you, what God might want to teach you about yourself, about those gathered with you in the day-to-day about God's self and the good road.
and what might happen when we're not consumed, if you will, by the tasks and distractions at hand and the expectations placed on us by the quiet, pervasive, and colonizing forces that exist today. It is called longing. Would that I want what you want, love what you love, and hate whatever you hate. Would that I would like to live your life and die your death, become one with you, and be with you one single will, one heart, so as to follow in your footsteps, eternal pilgrim. And would that you give me the supreme gift of loving you with your love and the blessed grace of suffering with your suffering, fighting your fight, singing your praises all the days of my life. What other glory could soothe a soul that is thirsty for all that only you are? Amen. You can turn to your Lord's Table liturgy. As a reminder, we um, will partake of the elements. You're welcome to partake of them here, or if you prefer to carry them with you into the week, that is fine too. Um, if you would like to respond uh, to anything that God has on your heart, if you'd like prayer, um, you're welcome to, to talk with me. You can fill out a, a card, a connection card over by the offering basket, or you can fill out that little link there in your e-bulletin online. And we will just listen to the song as it's played. You can join me in the bolded parts. Gracious Lord, pour out your spirit upon the gifts of this table and upon the gathered people who seek to faithfully follow you. The bread symbolizes that life, though given, can reshape brokenness into the peace which a warring world needs, the hope which can bring healing to others, the cup which is filled with grace can strengthen us to be new people who go forth to speak truth to power, who bring freedom to all the oppressed. Come to the table of the Lord. It is open to all who seek to follow Jesus. <laughs> 